Good morning and thanks for joining me online today. So good to be with you for this Easter Sunday. You know, all across the globe today, churches are declaring the same reality. Whether they're meeting in person or online, they are declaring that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It's a beautiful day to be celebrating together. So for today's message, I'd like to spend some time talking about the beauty of the cross. I'd like to talk about what Christ accomplished on the cross, how we can respond, and I'd like to offer some prayers uh, for us to respond to God on this Easter Sunday, whether you've been walking with God for a long time or whether you are new to this message and to the church in general. I'd like to be able to gather us in some prayer at the end. And also, we're going to be celebrating uh, the final uh, pits of this message today with the Lord's Supper. So definitely have the cup and the bread ready as we take communion together. So years ago, I watched this TED Talk uh, by a guy named Richard Seymour from the UK. He's a UK-based designer, and so for part of his talk, he showed this image to his audience, and he asked for their response. When you take a look at it, what do you feel? And what do you experience when you take it in? Most people would say, at first glance, they feel nothing at all. Now in his talk, Seymour goes on to explain that this image is actually one of the most beautiful things he's ever seen. Because he knows something about it that the rest of the people do not. So he goes on to explain what this image is. It's a drawing by a little girl named Heidi who was only five years old. This was the last act on earth before she passed away from cancer. So he shows this image again, and he asks his audience to look carefully at it. What do they see now? Is it different? Can they see the beauty? And when you look at it, what do you feel? What do you experience when you take it in? Friends, the experience that you're having with this image right now is similar to the experience that the early Christians had when they first encountered the cross of Jesus Christ. It was brutal. It was scary. It was awful. And Matthew gives us a glimpse of what happened to Jesus when he was crucified and went to the cross. This is in Matthew chapter 27, 27 to 31. It says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. The crucifixion itself included this process of torture. And then they took Jesus and they nailed him to wooden beams and strung him up on a hillside for the countryside to see and to be afraid. If you messed with the Roman Empire, this is what would happen to you. Except with Jesus, it was different. 
Pilate, who was the governor at the time, found nothing wrong with Jesus, and yet he succumbed to the will of the people, only to crucify him because they were ready to incite riots. Today, as we explore this, I want to talk about two things in particular that make the cross beautiful. You see, over the course of time, if you spend time in the church, in church world, you notice that Christians regard the cross as something wonderful, something even beautiful. So Isaac Watts, who wrote one of the more famous hymns that we sing around this time of year, called it Surveying the Wondrous Cross. And then more recently, a uh, worship writer reused the words from that hymn and wrote about the wonderful cross. And similarly, in some songs today, we sing about leading me to the cross. So why would Christians want to go back to this cross? Why would we want to survey it and keep it as part of our vision? Well, I'm glad that I can take some time to explain it today. And if you're new to the church, this is the perfect Sunday to join because you'll get to hear a little bit about the basics of our faith. And if you are a returning member of the faith, someone who has walked with Christ for a long time, I hope that today would be a, a rekindling and a renewal in some shape or form. So why is the cross beautiful? Reason number one, because at the cross, Jesus brought forgiveness and victory over sin. You know, over the last year, as we have faced off with the pandemic and COVID-19, it has become very apparent to everyone that we human beings are deeply flawed. There has been a rise in social unrest, deep division over race and class and gender. There has been all kinds of uh, an uptick in crime and violence and suicide and drug abuse. There's been all sorts of problems that have propped up. When it has come to one of the greatest challenges of our lifetime, COVID-19, which has killed over 2.8 million people in the world, it seems that we human beings can't come together. We can't be unified without shaming each other, blaming each other for the problem, hurting each other, and eventually killing each other. We human beings can't seem to get it together. And why is that the case? In Scripture, God actually tells us there's a deeper reason behind all of this. He reveals that the deeper problem with humanity isn't just a surface-level thing that we can fix with better rules or better finances or better, uh, uh, better programming. The problem lurks deep within our souls. It's something called sin. Now, human beings were originally made in the image of God. God created with us with great purpose, with great meaning. He intended to make us to care for this world and for one another. We were designed in the image of God. So we were made to love. We were made to be generous. We were made to, to share with one another. But early on in the narrative of Scripture, we see that human beings rebel against God. And this rebellion was called sin. It was far worse than just breaking a couple of rules. It actually was a devastation to their interior beings. It, 
it created a disruption in our souls. And we began to devolve as a result of it. So instead of love, we began to lust after one another, or we began to hate. Instead of living generously and giving away, we became selfish and self-centered. Instead of being other-centered and caring for the least of these, we became prideful and selfish and greedy. All these de-evolutions came as a result of sin. And we see this in the narrative of Scripture as Adam and Eve committed sin and they have to hide from God who comes just to have relationship. We see this with their children as Cain and Abel have a rivalry and Cain invites Abel out to a field and he kills him. The problem is deep. The beauty of the cross is that at the cross, Jesus dealt with this problem of sin and death. This was God's plan all along. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, it says this about Jesus going to the cross. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The offer of God at Easter is that you too can experience the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins and his healing from sin. You can have a restart to your soul. This is what Easter is about, and this is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So years ago, I learned about the story of a man named William Neal Moore, also known as Billy. So Billy didn't start life out on the right foot. He actually got into a lot of trouble growing up from petty theft to drug use. He was a person who struggled a lot. And as he grew up, some of these troubles grew worse. He got married at one point. He had a child, but things didn't work out. And his wife left him with his child. Now, one day, Billy learned about an opportunity to steal some money. So he went with a friend to go rob an old man, a 77-year-old man. And while their first attempt failed, he went back later on his own to try an attempt to rob him in his house. But as he snuck into this grandfather's house, he was surprised by a shotgun fire that missed. Billy turned around and he shot this elderly gentleman twice and he killed him. Eventually, he was caught, he was convicted, and then he was sentenced to jail. And he was sentenced to the electric chair. Now, as the criminal justice uh, system would have it, he had about 16 years to think about what he did before he would actually go to the electric chair. And during this process, Billy's mom, who was a Christian, asked a Christian couple living nearby to start meeting with him. They shared with him the gospel, the good news that God sent Jesus to save him. They told him the good news that God loved him and could change him from the inside out. And when Billy's 
when Billy first heard these words, he rejected it. What would God do with me? I'm at the end of life. I'm facing the electric chair. I've killed someone. It's over for me. But over time, this couple, as well as several other Christians, continued to share with Billy the message of God's love. And over time, this message sunk in. Billy came to faith and understood what Jesus did on the cross on his behalf. So right there on death row, Billy came to faith and he was baptized on death row in a bathtub. After coming to faith, Billy decided to do something unusual. He was able to get a hold of his old police records and the names and the addresses of the people who were the family members of the old gentleman. And he decided to write to each one to ask for forgiveness. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution records the story of this happening. And then he did something that changed the course of his life. He wrote to Stapleton's niece, Sarah Stapleton Farmer, and apologized for killing her uncle. The letter was simple but hard to write. I want you to know that I am truly sorry for all the pain and suffering that I have caused each of you, Moore wrote. And if you can find it in your hearts to forgive me, I would truly appreciate it. But if you don't, I understand because I don't forgive myself for the terrible suffering I have brought you all. A week later, he received a response. Dear Billy, she wrote, we are Christians and we forgive you and pray to God for your soul and hope for the best in your life. Moore was stunned. This was showing me this is what real Christian people do, he said. That really helped me because I'm still hurting and I'm writing to hurting people and they are helping me. Then he began to wonder, how do you do that? How do you get to the place of forgiveness? He wrote back and thus began a letter writing relationship that lasted for many years. Stapleton's family even fed and housed Moore's family members and legal team when they came to visit him in prison. It took them six years of writing me to get to the point I could forgive myself, Moore said. Lee Strobel also writes about Moore's life. He writes this insight. Billy Moore became a model prisoner, so much that the guards had a nickname for him. They called him the Peacemaker. Death Row was an ugly, violent, hateful place until Billy got there. Billy had Bible studies with the other inmates, and one by one, they found redemption and new life in Jesus Christ. The place that had been awful and violent became a place of hope where people cared for each other. Billy began to study, and through correspondence, he studied counseling. He became so good at counseling that local churches would send some of their people to prison to get counseling from him. They would call Billy up and ask if he would see people in need. Finally, the day for the execution caught up with Billy. Seven and a half hours before the execution, 
the Georgia Pardon and Parole Board held an emergency meeting for Billy Moore. They wanted to see for themselves this model prisoner. What was so amazing was that the family of the old grandfather showed up for the hearing and they supported Billy. They testified that many years ago, Billy came to us and asked us for forgiveness. If God had forgiven Billy, why shouldn't we? What happened next made history. Billy Moore was given an official pardon. He was the first, it was the first time in American history that a confessed killer was released from death row and given a full pardon. Friends, I share this story with you today because this is what Jesus did on the cross. He took on human sin and he brought on forgiveness and victory. Billy's story and the story of the Christians that surrounded him are all a testimony of what is possible because of what Christ did on the cross. So when you look at the cross, what do you feel? Is it beautiful to you now? The second reason why the cross is beautiful is because at the cross, Jesus launched us into God's new creation. There's a verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that I want to share. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is an important verse in the New Testament and one that Paul shares about what happened to him spiritually as he was transformed in coming to faith. And I think it's a favorite verse for many Christians because it's phrased in the first person. It's something that we can recite ourselves about our own spiritual lives. But you see, there's a mystery that's involved in it because Christ died and Paul says that he was crucified with him. How in any way was he crucified with Jesus? Because he wasn't there at Calvary when Jesus was on the cross. He was at that point in time still a Pharisee. He would later on go on to persecute Christians, put some in jail, and condemn them to death. But later on when he looks at his conversion, when he looks upon his road to Damascus experience where he came to faith in Jesus, he says that he was with Christ, he was crucified with Christ. So what did Paul mean when he says that he has been crucified with Christ? It has long been the teaching of the church and the understanding that we get from Scripture as God brings it upon our lives that somehow in the mysterious workings of God as Christ was led to die on the cross, that he bore our sins with him. And so in a sense, we, all of those who put our faith in Jesus, are caught up with his act of sacrifice. Our old self dies with him on the cross, and we are given a chance to live a new life. We are launched into new creation. Now, if this is a little bit abstract and hard for you to understand, I get it because it's a little bit abstract to me too. But there has been a long-standing tradition that's been going on for thousands of years in the church to help people realize and really live into this truth. 
It's called baptism. And we have another verse in the book of Romans that explains what happens in the course of baptism. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. What these verses help us to understand is that as Christians, there is a unity that happens with Christ. We are joined with him in his sacrifice on the cross, and it's a death to the old person. But we are also raised to life. On Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the empty tomb and Christ rising from the dead, through the image of baptism, we are also mindful that this is the journey that we have ahead of us. So sometimes theologians like to put some big words around three aspects of our overall salvation. There's first of all an immediate sense in which salvation comes into our life, and we may call this justification. We are cleansed and our old self is done away with and we are born anew. And then there's this process called sanctification. And over the years, we learn more about our faith. We grow deeper in Christ. We realize more things like Billy Moore did. It took him six years to begin to forgive himself for some of the crimes that he had come to terms with. And then there's a process of glorification. Glorification is that one day we will spend eternity with God, that this earthly life that we have right now is not the end of the story. There is a glorious future to be had. And most certainly during this pandemic, when many of us are wrestling with the frailty of human existence and all the different things that have been challenging us, I, for one, have been thinking a lot more about what glorification means, and I'm longing for the day in which I will see God face to face, where every tear will be wiped away, and where justice will come in its fullness, where God will come to save and redeem humanity. That's glorification. But until that time, we have something called baptism that images all of that and helps us know that we're part of something much bigger, part of God's bigger plan for humanity that includes a death, burial, and resurrection into new life. Now today, we're going to have our first in-person gathering, our large group gathering, at 4 o'clock. And for those of you who signed up, I look forward to seeing you there. Pastor Grace will be leading our baptism. We have three people who will be going through the waters of baptism to image this new life for us and to declare their faith in Jesus. Pastor John will also be giving us our message and Jessica will be leading us in worship. I'm really looking forward to seeing many of you there. But today, as we wrap up our message on Easter, what we're trying to see once again is the beauty of the cross and that these aspects and these dimensions to what Jesus did on the cross help have helped Christians across the centuries to look at this and say, this thing, even though it was brutal 
and cruel and really to be despised is now a work of art. Through it, God has brought to us salvation and new life. There are two types of people I want to address at the end of our message today and lead in prayer. And the first group is this. Maybe you're new to the message of Jesus. This is something that you haven't responded to personally. You've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ before. And listening to these stories and listening to what Christ has done on the cross, maybe you're feeling a tug from the Holy Spirit to respond personally. If that is you, I invite you to join in this prayer with me to enter into new life on this Easter Sunday. Follow the prayer on this slide as we pray this together. Dear God, today I want to start a new life with you. I place my faith in Jesus who went to the cross and died for me. I confess that I cannot solve the problem of sin by my own works or by being good enough. I trust in the transformational work that Jesus did for me. And I receive your hope today that death will not be the end of my story, but I have the hope of spending eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer with me today, I really invite you to respond by emailing staff at accesslive.org. Our staff team would love to respond and help you get connected to grow deeper in the faith and help you take your first steps in this faith journey with God. So happy to walk on this journey with you. The other group I'd like to address today on this Easter Sunday are those of you who've maybe known Christ for a while, but over the course of this pandemic, it has been tough on you. Your spiritual life is not what it used to be. And if that is the case, there are many people who are in the same position as you. Some of the demographic studies and studies on Christian life that we've seen over the past year have revealed that a lot of people have either stopped going to church or have really declined in their spiritual lives. And because of the isolation of the pandemic, they are no longer walking with God as they once did. They're not feeling the close intimacy that they once had with God or with other people. If you find yourself in that kind of situation, I want to lead you in a prayer to be reawakened as you contemplate the cross of Jesus Christ, that your spirit within you would be rekindled and renewed and refreshed on this Easter Sunday. If that's you and you feel inspired today by the Holy Spirit, pray this with me. Dear God, today I want to reawaken my faith by placing my faith in Jesus once again. I come to you and ask you to renew me from the inside out. I confess the things that have stopped me from trusting, believing, loving, and following. Please rekindle my heart to be alive in the Spirit. I receive from you power, love, and self-discipline in order to walk in your ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
If you prayed that prayer with me just now, I invite you also to respond by emailing staff at accesslife.org. We would love to help you journey in rekindling and reawakening your faith to be more alive as God had intended your life to be. We know that we've gone through some really hard times over the last year. There's no shame in feeling beat up or tired over it. I know I have felt very tired, but at the same time, I want you to know that there are more resources in God. There is more power and love in God than the challenges that are ahead of you. So be encouraged today. As we wrap up our message today, I want to center ourselves around the communion elements, the Lord's table, the bread and the cup. Over the centuries, these are things that have reminded us of the cross of Jesus Christ, what Jesus accomplished on the cross that was done on our behalf. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So please receive them today. Receive the grace of God and know that no matter what state you've been in, no matter what your journey has been like, no matter what sin you're wrestling through or whatever things that are going through your heart, know that you have a love from God that can transcend all of those things. There's a love with God that walks with you in each of those things. So let's take of the bread and the cup. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this time to take of the bread and remember Jesus. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink of the cup together. Amen. Friends, let's recite our sending prayer on this Easter Sunday. Let's say this together like we mean it. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. And may your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen. Amen.